0: Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. Today, I'm really, really excited to be able to interview Melinda Snodgrass. So, Melinda, why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Hi. Um, I'm sitting in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, what can I say? I'm a writer, both a screenwriter and a novelist. I'm a recovered lawyer. I used to <laughs> practice law, and I realized that while I loved the law, I hated lawyers. So I ended up twitching into writing. Um uh, I've been a singer. I studied opera in Europe oh, wow. uh, and, and I ride dressage. Uh, I have two Lusitano horses. Um, so basically, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up until I figured out that writing was absolutely what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
0: Fantastic. So a lot of your work has been in science fiction with a little bit of fantasy, but you know, you seem to be really heavily focused on science fiction. I mean, what, what drew you to science fiction? What do you love about the genre?
1: I, I loved it from the moment I could read. My my father taught me to read before I went to school. And the first book he read aloud to me was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And and he was wise. He skipped all the sort of fish stuff that was be boring for a child, but <laughs> read all the great stories and the mystery of the Nautilus and who, you know, who was Captain Nemo. And I fell in love with it. And then the first science fiction book I read was A Princess of Mars. And, um, It it just swept me away. And then I moved on to Heinlein, Half Space It Will Travel, which is still a novel that whenever I'm sad, I go back and reread it because it just, it gives me faith in humanity again and gives me hope and makes me happy. Um, And then I sort of graduated on from there in Norton and all the rest as I discovered, but I've read it my entire life. Um, I think it's that sense of possibility and and I've always wanted to go to the stars. I mean, when Star Trek first came on the air, it was like, oh, my God, this is my dream, you know, to see these spaceships. And um, and, and so I've always preferred that. I mean, I think fantasy, fantasy is I, – I can enjoy it, and I have a lot of friends who are wonderful fantasy writers, but it feels conservative um, looking for a time when – when people knew their place and there was an order to society. And science fiction to me is much more about going forward, going to the future, creating change. Um, You know, it's, it's a place where Uhuru and, uh, you know, there can be women on the, on the bridge of a starship rather than being a consort or a princess or, you know, all of those Mm -hmm. various things. And I know that modern fantasy has been challenging that with, you know, women who who are effective and warriors and so on. But I still feel like, and it's hard. It's much more of a of a saber, You know, this is a society I can understand, and I just know I could never write it. I'm also not very good at banquets and clothes, <laughs> so <laughs> I I just don't think it's where I would do well. Um, and and so I tend to always go towards science fiction. It's what I prefer to read, and mm. uh, and it's certainly what I write.
0: I mean, for me, why I've always loved science fiction, again, more so than fantasy, um, is it's the way it's generally quite, you know, it's a social commentary a lot of the time. And, you know, again, with like Original Trek, you had all that, the commentary about the, the racial issues that were happening at the time. And you had, it, it's kind of a way to get people who might not see the issues within their current society to like look at outside the box and basically, you know, shine a light on it. And I feel like a lot of your stuff actually does that. So like, what, what do you feel that science fiction adds to that? And and how do you go about writing something that is social commentary and, and asks these philosophical questions without kind of berating the reader or, you know, smashing them, <laughs> them over the head with it? Yeah, sticking your face through the page and screaming <laughs> at them. Yeah, I hate that. Um, I mean, one
1: of the things I think science fiction has been a safe place to talk about difficult issues in a way that doesn't feel like it's so immediate i mean you know god knows we're in this ghastly period with trump in the white house and and the rise of the alt-right where if you if you try to bring up these issues people feel threatened they feel like they're being accused and you know all these things and if you can put it in a science fiction setting i think people can step back enough that they can actually Talk about it, and then perhaps go. Oh, wait, maybe maybe this is what I'm seeing today. Um, the way I try to do it is, um, well, I try to make it entertaining. I try to make the story and the the journey for the characters more important than the point I'm trying to make, because that, that's sort of like the third level. If it, it's like strata in geology, you know, the first thing is who are these people. Why should my readers care, or my viewers, if I'm doing TV, why should they care about them? Is this story entertaining and exciting? And then down below, sort of on a more subtext, really, is, you know, what am I saying about the human condition? Uh, What am I saying about the human heart and how it can be in conflict with itself? but I have to keep it a little farther down because otherwise it does just become a polemic, you know, and nobody mm-hmm. wants to read that. Um, I mean, for me, it's always been about characters. I Usually I get an idea for something because I I see the person in an interesting situation and then I want to know how they got there. And so then it starts to come together for me. <laughs>
0: I mean, what do you feel? So, I mean, what was it—a year or so, maybe longer? No, oh, the years fly by. But uh, <laughs> Ursula Le Guin uh, was talking about how you know science fiction has—it's sort of so concerned with dystopias and it's all very pessimistic. And you know, it's one thing that as a kid when I first discovered uh, Star Trek and and sci-fi in general, like you know. St- even Star Wars, you know, space opera, whether or not it's fantasy, sci-fi, let's not get into that debate. But it was kind of, it was always optimistic. And I liked that. And it kind of gave me hope, whereas I find a lot of science fiction these days is pessimistic. I mean, how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I'm not, I'm not a a fan of that. I, I think the whole strength of science fiction, and the reason that even in downturns of the economy, when people weren't buying books, sales of science fiction books stayed pretty steady and i think one of the reasons for that is that it was a place for people to go it can get better we can improve we can become a united species we can have the stars i much prefer optimistic science fiction um dystopias i mean for one thing i think it's it's easy to write dark it's mm-hmm. easy to write violent um, it's less easy to write something that doesn't come across as pollyanna or But I think it's more of a challenge for a writer. And I think it's... it's. I, there was a movie that, that failed utterly called Tomorrowland, um, a Disney oh, film, yep. that just yep. came out. Which And I, I loved that movie. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. And the whole concept of, you know, which wolf do you feed? And I think the more we feed the dystopia the more hopeless and the more angry we become and the more separated from each other. And I'd like to try to, to try to say it can get better. We, we have these, we have a chance We're we're an incredibly creative species. Um, I mean, you know, we we can paint the Sistine Chapel and Mozart can compose Don Giovanni and we can send rockets to Mars. I mean, um, let's focus on that rather than, all of this negative. Um, yeah, we've made some terrible mistakes. We we may have gone past the tipping point with climate change, but I believe that we can find ways to cope. And uh, and I think that's where we ought to be ought to be talking and looking and writing about rather than, than going to the dark and, oh, it's hopeless and we're all going to die. I mean, we all know we're going to die, but the reason, <laughs> the reason we want stories is because stories go on. And there's this sense of, to me, optimism that, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's in Lord of the Rings, you know, when Sam says to Frodo, we're in this big story and our part will end, but the story goes on. And I, that's why I love my career. I love what I do for a living.
0: So let's uh, switch gears a little bit. So you have made a career out of screenwriting. You write novels, short stories, you work in contributed worlds. I mean, how do you even go about compartmentalizing that and like, and, you know, the different skills that you have, I mean, which do you, do you have a favorite to write in? Do you How do you manage that switching between the, the formats?
1: I, I think it uh, keeps me fresh and it keeps me interested for one thing, but I prefer screenwriting. I love screenwriting because trying to do, tell a story with less where you don't have internal dialogue and you can't, it, it all has to be done um with, with silence and sometimes with fewer words, I think is very challenging. I really, really enjoy doing that. Um, For me, short stories are terrifying. (laughs) I, uh, I don't think I'm tremendously good at them. I try to get better (laughs) with each one I do, but I think they're, I think they're the most perfect little jewels and people who can really do them. I, I can get away with it. I write for a series called wild cards that that I co-created and co-edit with George R.R. Martin. And I think again, because Wild Cards has the sense of being a big ongoing story, I, I think of it as an episode of television. I drop in one of my stories and it's like one of the episodes. And so it doesn't feel as challenging as as these sort of perfect um, short stories. I mean, like like um, the short story that was the basis for Arrival. I mean, that was like a piece of art. <laughs> I, mean, I could never do that. Um, and novels are fun. I just, I'm not tremendously fond of description. Um, and that's the thing. My, my writer's group is constantly saying, great dialogue, Melinda, but where are they? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, uh, and so I have to constantly remind myself to think of the five senses and, and ground the moment. Because what I love is to put characters in a scene and let them talk. I think human communication is the most fascinating thing. I think I was born to be a screenwriter and and um, you know fortunately, I got the chance because all of my books had been heavily the dialogue heavy and then once I went to Hollywood, I was like, oh yeah this is this is uh, this is where I want to live. I like this a lot.
0: So how did you get into screenwriting? How did you break into that
1: well <laughs> My entire life has been people saying to me, I think you could do this if you tried. I started, I quit being a lawyer and started writing novels because a friend of mine, Victor Milan said, I bet you could write if you tried. So I did. And I had spent a few years writing books. And then my friend George, uh, Mr. Railroad, um, had gone off to Hollywood first to work on the new Twilight Zone and then on Beauty and the Beast. And he called me one day, uh, I was back home in New Mexico and he was out here in LA and phone rings It's George. And he says, Hey, snod. Um, <laughs> that's what he calls me. I, I think you'd be pretty good at the screenwriting thing because you need, you know, crackling dialogue. You need a really strong sense of plotting. And I'm, I'm quite good at plotting and, uh, and an ability to sort of tell a story very concisely. He said, if you write a script, I'll show it to my agent. So, um, And then he gave me some, he told me about how you write a spec script. The spec script is your calling card. It gets you noticed in the business, but you won't sell it because nobody ever sells their spec script Mm -hmm. and um, blah, blah, blah. And I sat down and thought, well, I don't want to write for Beauty and the Beast because that puts George on the spot. Because if I write a really crappy script, you know, he's going to be embarrassed and have to tell me it's crappy. Um, I thought about LA law, but it looked like it was too carefully plotted and i had grown up on original Trek, and so I started watching Next Generation and realized that the most interesting character on the show was the robot, which is kind of a sad commentary when you
0: think about oh, it. Oh, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I do love Data, so I, you know, I'm okay with him being the most interesting. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> who, who is your favorite, Data? Yeah. Yeah,
1: well, me too. That was it. I thought Data was like the most interesting character they had, and... Um, So I sat down to come up with a story for him. And because I've been trained as a lawyer, there's an infamous Supreme Court decision called the Dred Scott decision, where a runaway slave was found to, they they ruled that he was property and not a person. And so he could be returned to his owner because he was just, you know, like a, like a, a widget, you know, he was not a person. And I thought this is perfect for data. So I wrote, a script, and, and before I got there, I called George and I said, "Look, you—you you told me that nobody will ever buy your spec script, and I have this really great idea, and maybe I should save it for if I get a pitch, if I get called into pitch, I should pitch that one." George gave me the best piece of writing advice I've ever gotten. He said to me, "Melinda, never hoard your silver bullet, meaning lead with the best thing you've got, do the best thing." That, that the thing you're most passionate about should be the thing you write. So I did. And I wrote this script called the measure of a man and his agent looked at it and sent it to Trek, and they bought it. And then they hired me on the show. And that was how I ended up in Hollywood. And um, it's one of the best episodes. <laughs> thank you. Hands I, down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, I was fortunate. I had my boss, um, you know, help me craft it, help me work within the parameters of television, what they could and could not do. like uh, the teaser, the poker game, I had a different teaser, and they couldn't afford to shoot it. Um, I had data trying to learn how to swim that he'd studied all the books about it. But when he got in a swimming pool, he sank like a stone because of course he weighed like you know four hundred yeah. pounds. <laughs> and um they said, well, we can't shoot that because we're crappy at going on location and also his makeup. Um, yeah. Brent's makeup will come off, come up with something else. And uh, so I came up with the poker game and um, as, a, as a place to put this scene. And um, it was, you know, Maury was very helpful to me learning, you know, the, the tricks of the trade, learn the ropes um, and I was fortunate in that nobody messed with that script. It just went through and, and was shot, um, which is somewhat unusual in Hollywood. As I tell people when I give lectures about, you know, so you think you want to go to Hollywood, if you can't stand to have people rewrite you. You don't want to be in Hollywood (laughs) because it's going to happen. I mean, that's just the way the business works. Um, You give up control in exchange for wheelbarrow loads full of money, which is how that works.
0: I mean, I also want to give a shout out to uh, The High Ground, which is another one of your episodes, which I really like, but seems to be quite under the radar in terms of, you know, like Measure of a Man is often, you know, really lauded. Um, but I just, yeah, wanted to say that I really love that episode as well, because I, I you know, again, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I like these episodes or these sci-fi stories that actually tackle... Issues. issues. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that. And I, I just really enjoyed that one as well. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you very just, much. Just, just a bit it. of a nerd out there. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> moving <you>. on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, writing in television, and also just like in science fiction in general, it it still uh, appears to be quite a, a man's world. So I mean, did you find I mean, do you still find that? Did you find that back, you know, when you first started out?
1: Yes, um, it, it, that is true. I, I was the only woman writer on Trek um, for my the t- entire time I was there. And um, they never did have a lot of women writing for that show. Um, and, you know, I see it to some degree. There tends to be, I mean, certainly when I was starting out, there was this sense that women were going to write things like Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and Touched by an Angel and, you know, which would have had me just gagging um, if I had to do that. Um, and and so I was constantly pushing against that. And, I, you know, I even had one um, one of my agents told me that the pro- there was a producer at, at Disney or Warner's. I can't remember which studio said, get me that chick who writes action. And that's <laughs> what that's what I became known as. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's very frustrating and especially with feature films right now. I mean, this is the golden age of television. This is the best television has ever been. And, and, and features have just become about the next fight, the next explosion. Mm -hmm. And there does seem to be this impression that women aren't good at that and the the reason people are getting sick, I mean, you get sick of CGI of special effects. you want you want something that's meaningful that moves you emotionally. Um, and I think women do bring that because we spend our lives being trained to read people and to interpret how they're feeling and to react to that. And I think those are skills that we we can bring to writing that that are underutilized, certainly in the feature area. I don't see it so much in television. I mean, if you look at a Jessica Jones or um, Luke Cage um, person of interest, which was my favorite show on television that just ended its run last year, um, they have a lot, they had a lot of women writers, and you could see that they 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 were really gri- grappling with issues of theme. Why does this matter? Um, I, I, I don't want to, I don't know if I can on your your um, oh yeah yeah go podcast. ahead <laughs> but um you know one of the things I was I realized is that I was teaching and I said to some kid you know tell me what's the difference between plot and theme and there was confusion and I said you know plot is the shit that happens but theme is why it matters and if you don't have the theme then none of this has any relevance and and any meaning for people um so i actually start first by figuring out what is it i want to say and why does it matter and then i figure out what the moves and the plot are and i think women are very good at that um and and this isn't to say men aren't but i think we've been underutilized and uh with this sense that we're too soft or we don't you know toughen up enough and it's, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. I mean, I'm I'm facing it on wild cards. It's, you know, undoubtedly the showrunner will be probably a guy <laughs> that they mm-hmm. hire. Even though I co-created this series with George, I have written for every book except a couple. And I co-ed, I mean, I know this world, and yet I'm going to be the executive producer but not the showrunner. Um, so it it's just you work within within the the parameters, but it is changing. I mean, you do see a lot of women um, listed now as executive producers, as co-executive producers on these shows. So I do feel like the business is certainly changing. Uh, I mean, I had an agent tell me about a month ago that right now the person she has the most trouble getting a job for is a 20-something-year-old white guy. <laughs> you know, that, that right now the business is actually I think they were really stung over the Oscars, so white, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. and some of these issues, and they're starting to look at the at the at the business and go, hmm, maybe we ought to do something a little different. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I remember talking to a friend not long ago about how we were looking back at some of the things that we watched in the '90s, and how we feel like there was more representation then than there was in sort of between 2000 and. 2015 kind of time and i i'm hoping that it's going to swing back towards how where it was in the 90s which sounds a yeah. bit weird that like we just yeah. went backwards um so yeah I, I i really hope that they get their act together in that respect
1: <laughs> that is that is true but you know i mean i'm looking at um i, I watch an awful lot of superhero shows because i'm getting ready to develop and do a superhero show so i'm watching all of them you mm-hmm. know the good the bad and the ugly and um you know there are a number of them that have some you know really interesting female leads i mean uh, jessica jones obviously leaves mm-hmm. to mind but um you know even in legends of tomorrow um which had a very rough first season but has kind of found its voice uh, the person in charge is a is a is a young woman, you know, Sarah, the assassins who had been a the, member of the assassins' league, and um, and I quite like the character a great deal. I'm 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 still on the bubble about Supergirl. I, I think Benioff you know, is is very charming as as Kara. Um, I just I find the show to be it's sort of a charming YA, you know, yeah. As opposed to it, it just doesn't it It just feels a little a little light, a little soft. Um, but at least she is anchoring this. So you know that that's that's very nice to see. And they don't have her cousin
0: coming in all the time to help,
1: which is nice. Yes.
0: You know? uh, well, yeah, they did that too, I think too much right at the beginning, but I think they move past that. yeah. Let's talk about your your current novel series that you're working on because it's uh it's quite heavily entrenched in military sf and again this is kind of a realm of science fiction that is even more of the boys club within the boys club <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean just before we start talking about it do you want to just give us like a little recap of what what you the premise of the series is the premise of the series is that Human beings
1: are paranoid and the meanest monkeys in the universe. And that uh, we went out into the universe, realized there were other species living there, immediately freaked out and kicked the shit out of them, um, because I actually think that would be our reaction. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and as a result, in an effort to you know prove we're were worthy and tougher, we went back to a sort of ridiculous aristocratic system, which I have everybody acknowledge that it's an absolutely stupid system of government to have nobility and so forth, but, but it was done for a particular reason. And the story is about two people separated by class, and it spans decades. It starts when Mercedes and Tracy Thracius are 18 years old, and it follows them through their lives into their mid-50s. And I plotted the entire thing, so I knew exactly what was going to happen. And it's basically a meditation about issues of class and women's power, women's position in the world. Because I think the one thing that has become abundantly clear is that our gains as women are very fragile. Mm Mm-hmm. If you remove from us our ability to control our own biology, if you don't allow us to be educated, if you force us into certain roles, um, we lose everything. And I think it could happen very easily. And I I predicted a, a universe in which settling alien planets is not safe. It's dangerous, and women can bear children, and therefore. Um, We lost a lot of our gains, and so it's about a young woman who's being forced to take on a role that she never expected to, and uh, was not groomed for, she assumed she would be a wife and mother like every other noble daughter, and instead she's going to inherit the throne, she's going to become the Empress of the Solar League. Um, and my hero is lower class kid whose dad is a tailor and um, wins a scholarship to the military academy and they meet. And it's it's a love story, but um, a love story with all these other issues flowing around it. So I need an elevator pitch. I haven't actually worked out an elevator pitch <laughs> for it yet. You know, it's sort of he's the Pope, she's a chimp, they're cops, you know, <laughs> I, I need that for this series. But it's, it's a kind of a bigger thing, because I'm looking at all these various issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, as it is sort of when you because you have like the military training school, I mean, this feels like, very entrenched in the kind of tropes of this genre. Um, and yet, you're playing with that as well, kind of turning it on its head. I mean, have you had any pushback or like it?
1: I haven't actually, um, I, I was trying to be subversive
0: because yeah. I wanted to
1: see what would happen. And, uh, I, I had, I saw, I don't read reviews. I, I think that way leads madness. You know, <laughs> I just do my thing. And, uh, but I did, one did float by, I think my editor sent it to me and I feel like I ought to at least look at it. And this woman said, I think she said, I was prepared to hate this book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she said, and then I realized that she was completely undermining and being totally subversive. And I ended up really loving it. And I went, Oh good. <laughs> you know, yay. Um, I haven't heard anything from sort of the, the, um, the, the, the sad and rabid puppies, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, none of them seem to have noticed me or they're just ignoring me. Um, but I, I don't really know how men like it or don't. Um, but I just, uh, I, I'm keep doing what I'm doing I because I wanted to discuss these issues I, I think I think uh, income inequality in class is um, it's it's and you know, there's a version of racism and that the aliens are all oppressed might oppressed by the humans and uh, there there's just so many things that I see in our world today that I could I could talk about in these books and I'm enjoying doing it.
0: I love science fiction as we've established and I, I love, you know, love even the, the kind of the dodgy ones, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm thinking, um, what is it? Uh, Forbidden Planet with Leslie Nielsen. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the Tempest uh, <laughs> yeah. sci-fi version, but which is yes. hopelessly misogynistic, but it, I still, you know, I still enjoy it for what it is. <laughs> um, but so, what are some of the, the worst examples of, um, you know, these tropes against with women, especially in like military SF that you were trying to ho- subvert? I think, well, there's a whole
1: series of them where they try to have a woman in them to make it seem like they're not and they're just men with boobs. Um, <laughs> those really bother me, you know, yeah. um, because women do, react differently um i mean they're, they're partly training and i don't know maybe some of it's brain chemistry we don't know for certain so we're just beginning to figure out the brain um so that's one thing that bothers me I, I know what you mean about forbidden planet i hadn't watched it in years and and george was showing it at his little movie theater in santa fe and i was just i i was both horrified and giggling at the whole <laughs> yes. thing at you know what is this you're doing? Oh my, oh God. <laughs> oh God. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, I I don't tend to read books that make me crazy. So I'm, I'm trying to think if there are any films recently.
0: Um, yeah, well, I mean, so like an example yeah. for me of one that's done well, which I think is rare, um, is, you know, from George uh, with Brienne of Tarth, where you have someone who is yeah, um, both masculine and yet she's not she's doing that thing where they because a lot of the 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 depictions of women like this is that you know she's a warrior and therefore just becomes a man almost completely rejects the feminine and she almost does that but yet somehow manages to walk that line of of still being a woman and I think that's very rare where you yeah yeah and I I just don't know how he did that. I'm I'm quite impressed with that one. Um.
1: (laughs) Well, and I also think I I blanked on the actress's name. I think she has done an amazing job um, in the scenes when, when she looks, you know, she loved Renly. And then when she looks at Jamie from gone from hating him, there's a certain amount of, I want to help, you know, I want to help you. Um, I mean, a, I, I shouldn't credit. I mean, in some of this may be the show I'm, I'm becoming disturbed with Arya because she's like yes. a sociopath. Yes. Now <laughs> I mean, I'm like, okay, you are a little psychopath and I really don't like you. And the character that's truly come to her own. And I'll be curious to see how George handles it in the books is Sansa. Mm, um, yes. She had been so overlooked and yet she is becoming this very powerful figure. Um, and without swinging a sword. And I think that's also because the ability to move people and negotiate diplomacy and economics have, can be a place where a woman can have huge power too, without strapping on a machine gun. You know, Mm.
0: um,
1: there's a way to exert power and influence without having to be a warrior in the traditional sense. Um, rogue one, I loved rogue one, um, the new star Wars movie. Um, you know, Jen is a woman who em- embraces her destiny, you know, and I, I really, really like the film. Um, I, am just trying to think books. Um, I don't know if you've read Max Gladstone. He is technically no, but... a fantasy writer. Yeah. Um, but they're the most interesting fantasies I've ever read and almost all uh, so many powerful female characters in his work. Um, I just I I can't say and and he's one of our new wild card writers I recruited him into into the madness that is wild cards <laughs> and I'm so happy to have him because um, he's just he's just enormously talented and and I do notice that you know he's young he's in his 30s it does seem like the younger generation of writers um, who are accustomed to working with women and having women bosses have a much easier time with this. Than, than some of the writers of other older generation that, you know, still think of us as Persephone, you know, keeping the home fires, <laughs> waiting for Odysseus to come home, you know. Um, mm. I, um, not Persephone, you talking? who is his wife? I'm sorry. I just blanked on who Odysseus is married to.
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> her. Um, I was just thinking about what you said about um women actually responding to situations differently. And the example that I can think of that they did that spectacularly well was Arrival where you have, you know, and and the fact that she can think about things differently is key to the entire story. And I thought that was brilliant.
1: I I think that I I wanted that movie to win the Academy Awards so badly. I knew it wasn't going to, but I wanted it to because it was, it was just, beautiful and and there's one moment of action um because one man becomes so terrified you know and does something violent and the rest of it is about is about people thinking and feeling and reacting i mean i just and and the willingness to embrace pain i mean it's interesting that so many of the movies this year but you know, arrival and rogue one in particular are about the ability to accept the inevitability of loss, and, you know, there was, it was bittersweet um, and very beautiful. I mean, um, she knows what's coming uh, with her husband and child and in arrival, and Jen knows there is no, there's no way out, you know, Um, we're embracing this, so... (laughs) um yeah I I just I can't say enough good about that movie I loved Arrival I I I saw it twice I was
0: that in love with it it was I think I could say that was my favorite last year yeah
1: far and away the
0: yeah the
1: the best movie of the year so I hope it wins the Hugo you know
0: (laughs) yes um all right so let's um sort of try and wrap things up a little bit but Uh, why don't you tell me uh, we'll tell our readers like why they should be reading your book. And especially because you've got um, the second in the Imperial series coming out later this year, you know, why should they pick up the first one and then get in line to pick up the second? I
1: think they're going to really enjoy getting to know Mercedes and Tracy and, uh, and, and seeing this world. Um, I, I think they're, I think they're fun. Um, And I, I, I think there's nothing wrong with fun. I, I don't want readers to feel like they have to have blood popping out of their forehead to read my books. I, I want them to be swept away to a different place in a different world uh, and enjoy it. Uh, and and um, I, I, hope they'll, I hope they'll give it a chance. Uh, second book does come out July 4th. It's called In Evil Times. And uh, it'll, uh, it'll be available then. Uh, in fact, I'm doing the copy edits on it right now. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Um, and I'll mention I have one other series that I do um, called the Edge series, uh, Edge of Reason, Edge of Ruin, and the Edge of Dawn. It's about the war between science and rationality and superstition and religion, and it's set in contemporary times. So, Oh, fab.
0: <laughs> that does sound exciting.
1: <laughs> well, thank you very, very
0: much for talking to us. Thank you for inviting me. This was great. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper.